This is our first post-game episode of the season. Leafs Lightning just wrapped up. Toronto comes back for a big overtime win. Lots to talk about from that one. Uh, Tough game to watch if you were expected to stay quiet towards the end of it. Uh, (laughs) Keith, this this result Mm -hmm. got you in a little hot water. Yeah, well, no, I mean, I my wife fell asleep beside me watching TV on her laptop in the Tavares goal. I, yeah, it was a, it was allowed. That was that was the first time this year that I've like had an emotional reaction to a goal. Like that was, I think, the first like I, that like welcome to the season kind of thing because I've been kind of just watching the games pretty lifeless so far up until now personally. So that was the first one. And then when they scored in overtime, I tried not to yell and I ended up just jumping up on my couch and kind of windmilling <laughs> silently. So it was, uh, that was fun, man. That's why you watch sports. The yeah. emotion was back tonight. Yeah. As I mentioned uh, last week, I moved. I'm now in a basement apartment and the owner lives upstairs. Just <laughs> like a textbook, sweet, kind lady made me some delicious chicken curry that she shared with uh-huh. me. I was I was trying to stay quiet for her. I succeeded on the tying goal, but I let out a little squawk <laughs> on the, the winner. And now here I am recording a podcast. So uh uh, Nick, what did, what did you think of that one? Because that was yeah, hell of a finish, especially great game all around. But um, yeah, really impressive finish. Yeah, just a, a outstanding hockey game. Like Keith, you nailed it. That's why you watch sports. That was just a barn burner. I mean, you know, not a high scoring game, but that's because both goaltenders were outstanding. Like Vasilevsky kept that game in Tampa's favor you know through most of the second period when the Leafs really poured it on and Campbell was down at the other end you know a lot of times goalies can kind of go cold when they don't face a lot of uh, opportunities against them for that extended period of time and he was just phenomenal in the third period some of the saves that he made so good yeah just there's not really much more to say I, I we said it before like every time that Campbell has a game like this, we get closer to being able to say that this is who he is. And he just keeps getting better. Seemingly uh, he, he's been the best player on the Toronto Maple Leafs through the early part of the season. And I don't yeah. think it's particularly close. Yeah. And you like in the second, when they went 12 minutes without a shot on him, I think was, was that number close to it. And then for the first chance to be point just blank, a point yeah. blank, you know, like with Joseph and tight like that, like that's, and how yeah, many man, of those have I, we I seen go really, in in recent years, right? Like the Leafs oh, control the you domi- yeah. You dominate for – yeah, exactly. That's – that's yeah. I mean, we don't need to bring up the other goaltender that's currently lighting <laughs> the league on fire. But that's the type of stuff that we're kind of accustomed to is like you just – the ice is tilted for 15 minutes and then a backbreaker. And you fully – like I, I don't know. You're, you you, have, you make, make a good point. Like I don't know how many more of these games we need to see before – we're no longer talking about Jack Campbell as this like unproven commodity that needs to keep doing it in order to solidify himself as a real number one goalie and all this other bullshit. Like what more is he going to do? Like he he's since he's become a Toronto Maple Leaf, this is what he's yeah. done. He, he's been one he, of the he's best. Certainly been embraced. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the yeah. chance, like we haven't seen that since Belfort, man. This is, uh, yeah. this is incredible. And, Campbell and, and seems you know, to I'm feed not one to man. commit to goalies, but I, I, yeah. I, I I'm ready to, to, pull the trigger like I, i'm sign me up man i love him yeah and you know earlier this week after the morgan riley extension which we will certainly get to shortly here the rumors started kind of popping up that the leafs have you know engaged in talks with jack campbell's agent about an extension and it seems like that's going to be their priority moving forward kyle dubas said something to the effect of their uh, focus being on 
finding a uh, or securing a, a tandem partner for Mrazek next season, which, you know, ideally that's Jack Campbell. And with the way he's playing, there's absolutely no reason to w- watch that guy walk out the door. I'm starting to get scared about that cap hit, though. Like, I, I just, with the Riley number and just the other pieces they're going to need to fill in, like, I don't know what kind of raise Sandine's going to get. Like, there's... I don't know. It's it's. I know we we've, we've been walking this tightrope for years, and I I know they always manage to figure it out. But ah, uh, God, like if if Campbell starts to, you know, if if his number starts at the five or something like that, it's it's gonna be tough. Yeah, but with the way he's playing, I think you make sacrifices elsewhere. That there's some money. There's oh, totally. some money on this roster that you know you you can move around, even if you have to attach a, a lesser asset alongside of it you know if we're talking about a Alex Kerfoot or Nick Ritchie I think with the way Kerfoot has played lately he's he's probably a tradable asset maybe not necessarily someone you want to get rid of for nothing but if it, if it comes down to having to make the space for Jack Campbell and he continues to play like this they're they're going to have to do something and the other thing is as well as Campbell is playing they have to hope that Mrazek is able to find his game when he does get in there as well um, not only because he's likely to play his more than his fair share of games th- this season, the Leafs may be forced to try and move that contract next off season yeah. in order to make room to keep Campbell. So th- there's a lot up in the air with the Leafs goaltending situation moving forward, but right now Campbell has it solidified. Yeah, he, he was great tonight. Um, and I mean, the Leafs, they, they had some great stretches, obviously, but there were times like part of that third period, they were they were slopping it up out there. Oh, yeah. It, it was, could have been yeah, four it, nothing. It, Tampa yeah, there. it was two for one night at Trafoni's. <laughs> it was a mess. And um, it, it was like, it, yeah, I mean, it, against Tampa, like, yeah, you're, you're just expecting them to bury a few, but huge saves and um but you know, not obviously. There are some lessons to, to learn from this one. Um, the blue line looked mostly good, but Jake Muzzin, man, uh, what is going on there? It's not getting any better, is it? Yeah, that, well, it was it's not all good right eh? against Vegas. It's not good. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> but it it was all right against Vegas. But I mean, you got to you got to factor in the lineup that Vegas threw out there, but. He know, wasn't man. noticeably he, bad he, against he, Vegas, and that, that's about as much as you yeah, can it, say it. it. That's about yeah. it, right? That's uh, as good a performance as he's had this season. Exactly. It was. It's more of a baby steps kind of thing at this point. Like I'm watching Jake Muzzin to just say, game over game, does he look less shitty? And he doesn't right now. If you know, pull apart the fact that you know that they just played like an AHL team. But I, I, I don't know, man. Like it's it's concerning because he is. And has been a pretty important part in that blue line, and, and if if he's not playing well, that it, it's 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 almost back to the drawing board a little bit. Like that could have something to do with all these rumors about why they are looking to bring in another defenseman. Not only because Justin Hall hasn't played well, but maybe because they feel it needs to get better because Muzzin's not playing well. Yeah, and we're what eleven games into the season now, so you can only use the excuse that it's early for so long. And at some point Jake Muzzin's going to have to find it here. He, as you said, he's such an important part of this team. Him and Justin Hall were, you know, the in years past, they were the one thing that the Leafs were able to count on, on the back end. And that certainly hasn't been the case early on. Both players have struggled mightily and it's kind of really thrown their entire defensive group into disarray to some extent thankfully Sandine and Lilligren have both played pretty well 
Uh, I mean, it's still a, a pretty limited sample size for Lilligren, but he's, I think the last three games that he's gotten into have probably been the three best games that he's played in the NHL. He, he's gotten a couple small tastes the last couple years, but it, he looks ready now. And, you know, that's kind of helped facilitate Justin Hall's move out of the lineup. Uh, the fact that they have someone there waiting in the wings to kind of take on some of those minutes. And right now, <laughs> the, the only guy that you could really justify taking out of the lineup for Hall is Muzzin at, at this point. And I, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Hall's going to get back in there. Uh, the, again, the Leafs need to hope that he finds his game as well. Um, you know, whether it be as part of the solution here or so that he maintains some value on the trade market. Yeah. It, it, like I'm, I'm becoming a big Timothy Lilligren fan. I, I really like the way that he plays. And I don't know if you guys saw, there was one, one kind of breakout transition that him and Sandine had today where they kind of played catch quickly across the ice. It was just a really quick pass from sand uh, from, yeah, from Sandine to Lilligren and Lilligren get fed, fed it right back across the other end. They were just, on, on their way out of the zone within two seconds. Yeah, I they, they obviously have chemistry together. You can yeah. see it. it I, I mean, that's a pair that that ideally, if you're a Leafs fan, like that could be you know a, 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 an important defensive pair for you for the next seven, eight, ten years. Like that's I, I'm 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 becoming a big fan of his, and and like you said, that's that's easing this whole Justin Hall thing. But you also have to hope that hall's got the you know that this is your classic sent a message to a, a veteran player that they need to shape up or whatever and he comes back and plays like a guy that knows that he might be out of the lineup again because i think maybe there was some you know uh not complacency but like i don't think he would have thought coming into this year that his spot in the lineup was in danger and uh it very it very quickly fell apart yeah if you had told any of us back before the season started that you know in the first few games of november justin hall was going to be a healthy scratch for three straight i don't think too many people would have believed that so you know credit to sheldon well, especially because we all said that about lilligren like lilligren's gonna get his games yeah. right but i don't think we thought he was gonna get his games at the expense yeah of exactly I, I think we kind of you know, well, especially with the way they dealt with the expansion draft, yeah, and it just looked like he exactly. was exactly. You know, yeah. it, and not that that was even necessarily something that we, we all agreed with, but it just seemed like it was the way that the lineup was built. But you know, I think I mentioned this in the off season, like it had to be a little bit prepared with the age of some of the guys in the blue line for a little bit of regression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I just didn't expect it all at once and to this degree, especially for Muzzin. Like Hall, yeah, uh, Muzzin, it just it was such a powerhouse and has just precipitously dropped off here and you know Brody hasn't had a great start although he had a pretty good night tonight um but yeah it's it's not been um uh, the start you'd maybe hope for for some of the veteran guys but I, I yeah, I've loved Sandine especially Lilligren looks good but man Sandine uh I, I'm loving what I'm seeing almost every time he's on the ice yeah he's looking more yeah. assertive offensively like some of the plays that he made you know activating into the offensive zone tonight that one dangle he pulled on I think it was uh, Cal Foot, another young defenseman yeah uh, great scoring chance in tight he had a, another one creeping into the face-off circle. Uh, I think in the third period, Vasilevsky got the glove on it. Uh, yeah, Sandine is really coming into his own. Um, finally, starting to you know see some of the the fruits of past drafts starting to come through and you know make an impact on this team. They've been really patient with Lilligren. Uh, I think a lot of people outside of the organization have maybe lost some faith in him. 
but their patience is being rewarded right now with the way that he's played, given this chance with Hall in the lineup. Yeah, I have no problem with a young defenseman over-ripening in the American Hockey League at all, especially when you know last year and, and even the year before that there you know there wasn't really a spot for him especially when they went out and signed Bogosian yeah. so I know that that could, like I've said this before like that that could be viewed as an indictment on him that like they didn't feel he was ready so they had to go out and get a Bogosian or they you know but at the same time let him just let him go down to the American Hockey League and play until it's very apparent that he has no business being in that league, and, and hopefully that's where we're and, at. And that's what it was last year, to be honest. Like, yeah. When I watched the Marlies last year, Lilligren looked like he was done with that league. Like He, he was right. quite clearly the, the, the best player on the ice almost every night. Um, but, but still, we've seen a lot of guys who have dominated at that level and still been unable to put it together in the show. And Right now, I don't think that that is what's happening with Lilligren at all. He, he's building off of his strong performance with the Marlies last year. He took it into camp this year, and he, he's carried it into the regular season. I, I, I don't see how you can justify taking him out of the lineup right now. Mikhail Sergachev is a scumbag. <laughs> a yeah. fucking scumbag. Yeah, we got to talk about that. Um, yeah, that was a, a greasy hit. Uh, apparently, I don't know if you guys saw it. We're recording right after the game here, so we haven't really seen all the post-game quotes and stuff. But one that has come out is uh, Mariner said that Sergachev came up to him in the second period and apologized for the hit. So uh, scumbag. even he's acknowledged that it, that it was a, a scumbag kind of hit. I think that one's definitely going to get looked at by the league. I wouldn't be surprised if he got a game or two for that. Yeah, a big factor for me is the fact that the puck was pretty much gone at that point. Like the hook had happened and Marner had kind of almost given up on the play knowing there was a penalty and then he got hit. Like uh, it's a dirty hit even if he has the puck and he's like taking it to the net. But the puck was almost – it was a good foot off of his stick at that point. Like it, yeah. That was a, that was and and a it wasn't hit. like a high speed play either. No, right? he, like, he lined that up. Did, like it wasn't like he. Yeah. It wasn't like a, the you know got his angles crossed at the last second and couldn't pull up. Like that was the he targeted it the whole way. So I mean, he can apologize. That's fine. But ultimately, it was a gross hit, and I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a game. I don't think it's going to be anything crazy, but I could see him getting a game for sure. Yeah, I mean, Hedman took the initial penalty and then was like, oh, I'm getting one. I'm going to make sure that he goes down. And then Sergachev still felt the need to come across while he was engaged and, and pop him in the head. That was, yeah, completely unnecessary. Nice to see the response from the captain afterwards, though. He, he yeah. went over and yeah. he, he grabbed a hold of Sergachev right away. Scrum ensued. You know, it, I, it wasn't much, but I, I think just the fact that there was some kind of response is a, a positive development with, you know, we haven't seen that a whole lot i saw a lot of people on twitter kind of freaking out that there wasn't a response i'm like well i mean yes and no like i understand that nobody dropped the gloves and beat them up but like at the same time why it was a close game like i don't really want an instigator penalty with that fucking power play going on the ice like just i don't know i mean he, we did what Zavars did what he needed to do and went over and roughed him up a little bit and basically told him that that shit can't fly would it like i don't know what the fuck it said in those scrums but obviously there was some sort of response i understand yeah. i can understand like the you know the, the blood fucking thirst after something like that happens but i mean i don't know not not just not the game you, you've got to be smart about that. it too yeah, and just not the game for that the, the leafs walked away with a, a five on three power play for two minutes sure it didn't go their way no, but ever. <laughs> it, 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 yeah that's being generous but you know like 
process over results or whatever. You, you take the five on three power play and there was some kind of response and they managed to walk away without having anyone in the box themselves. So I, I think at that point in the game, they handled that pretty well. Just really glad that Mariner wasn't hurt on the play because that, that was a really dangerous hit. Um, especially Mitch is really starting to find his game lately. It wasn't the best night for him, but we've said it before. Those guys can be quiet for a lot of the night and, before you know it, they've got two points each and the Leafs win the game. And, and that's what happened tonight with Matthews and Mariner. They, they didn't have their best night. But at the end of the night, they were the ones that helped uh, pull the score into the Leafs' favor at the end. So uh, Leafs got a big win against Vegas as well. Already uh, mentioned, you know, they didn't have much of a lineup in that one. But um, Mariner, a big, big night in that one as well. And um, just a solid game overall. You know, Vegas is not the Vegas we're used to in that one. But um, and we'll talk a little bit later about the Jack Eichel deal, which they pulled off this morning as well. But um, any thoughts from either that one or or Detroit, which both happened since our, our last episode? I think Detroit was a bit sloppier. Um, you know, Vegas, as you said, they weren't exactly icing their A lineup, maybe their AHL lineup. But those are the, you talk about it all the time. Like, those are the games that you're supposed to dominate, and the Leafs went and dominated it. And, you know, we've seen plenty of occasions where that hasn't been the case. You, you look back to the Pittsburgh game a couple weekends ago, they got absolutely shelled against a team that had no business dominating them the way that they did. So it, all in all, an encouraging sign, you know, what is it? Four straight wins now. So I think beating those lesser opponents kind of maybe helps set the table for helping them feel good going into this game against Tampa tonight. And the fact that, you know, they stuck with it. They, the fact that they were able to, get positive results in those last few games, I think probably helped them, you know, have the, the faith to stick with what they were doing tonight. And eventually it was going to go in and it, it took a while, but it did. So, uh, yeah, I think those last couple of games were really important in kind of helping turn the morale and attitude around the team in the right direction. I mean, yeah, you, if you watch those first few games of the year where they were obviously struggling, but, you know, all of the, numbers that everybody likes to point out myself included like it, it was telling us not to panic like you, when you see you know how they're first in virtually every kind of offensive chance that you can possibly muster up and all those types of kind of numbers that were showing that the process was there but obviously the results weren't there but then you cap that kind of struggle off with what happened against Pittsburgh and and it, it definitely felt like the hand was hovering over the panic button so full credit to them for not panicking and and not, you know, pressing too hard, but watching those games, it did seem like a team that felt kind of mentally fucked up. Like you look at what happened at the they end of the year. They needed something to feel good about, right? Exactly. And you needed you had what happened at the end of the playoffs leaking into a tough start to the season. And it just looked like they, yeah, they just looked miserable on the ice. Like body language wasn't good. So, I mean, I think that that it's funny, like when it happened, the the Chicago win, it just felt like a bit of a, a kind of dam breaking, even just just from there, like the like Matthew's reaction with the buddy in the crowd and stuff like you could just see that kind of like that was a huge weight off their shoulder. And since then, they've looked like a different team, uh, albeit that you're right, like that Detroit third period, like of the back and forth was was pretty sloppy, but 
that's also some pretty good players in that Detroit team for, you know, I know they're young and, and not that great, but there were some nice goals there too. So kind of hats off to them, but I, I yeah, I mean, this is the, this was always going to be the big kind of litmus test game. And I think for, even when they were down tonight, like I never felt upset with the effort of the team. I know the, the big guns weren't playing well, but that's the best team on the planet that they're playing against. Like, they're trying really hard too. Like it's not like they can just take over the game when they want to. It was a tightly checked game. It was uh, the type of game that you're going to see in the playoffs. And and for them to kind of you know pull that out was was I think I don't know if their confidence was high after those the the Vegas and Detroit games. It should be fucking sky high right now. Yeah, and a good time for it too. I mean, this homestand closes out with Boston Saturday, first time in almost two years. Um, and they get LA on Monday too. Yeah, and then LA. So yeah, um, yeah it's going to be Boston game is going to be fun. Yeah, that's. I mean, get the emotions up for that one, right? Like it's. I didn't necessarily love the response on Mariner. I loved it from JT. I loved Tavares getting in there, and and you know, but like I, I kind of expected to see a little more out of the gate there in the third, and and. Um, yeah, it was, it was, um, I don't know. It, it was an interesting response, the, the way that they eventually did kind of come around and, and, and obviously win the game. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I thought it was a little bit of a slow uptake there when, you know, one of your top guys gets mugged. Not that I want to see, you know, Matthews go out and lay a beating on someone or anything like that, but just, um, I would like that. I do. <laughs> 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 uh, so yeah, hopefully, I mean, Boston's one that you should be able to get up for. I, I, I think I saw Bergeron scored four tonight. I think I saw a headline oh. or something. I knew he scored three. I didn't know. So they're getting, four. they're That's warmed crazy. up. They're, they're getting warmed yep. up for the Leafs. Nice. Uh, oh, good. So, um, I wanted to talk as well about Morgan Riley's extension, which broke, I think, just after we released our last episode. Um, thrilled about this. You know, one topic that, yeah. you know, Nick, you and I were kicking around before last week's episode was just how um, much this this defensive unit runs through that guy and how much the, the transition game depends on his ability to, to move the puck and skate. And, and, you know, when you look at, if you look at it kind of in a really binary way, a really black and white, like it's gotta be Hyman or it's gotta be Riley. I think they might made the right decision in terms of sustaining, you know, what you're all about, what, what your style of play is. You can, bring in other guys and I think that they've done a decent job of bringing in other guys who kind of bring some of the things that Hyman does but man Riley is just such a special player and I'm thrilled that he is locked up here for the next eight years yeah I I think that's probably unanimous on on this show Mm -hmm. Um, Riley's a guy who's taken some flack over the years for his defensive game and I think that has led to him being kind of underappreciated by some people in the fan base uh, he's kind of been taken for granted because he really does have such a, a big impact on what this team is doing as far as driving play from the back end. I've said it before, the way that he activates on the weak side in transition, it kind of opens up the whole ice and spreads the defense out. And it, it's a big reason that Toronto is able to create offense off the rush when he's on the ice. Uh, to get him locked in for the next eight years, at that number, considering what some of the other big defensemen have been going for around the league, you know, over the off season and early into this season, I think you've got to call that a win for the Leafs. And when you look at it, it's it's a two and a half million dollar annual raise on the cap hit that he's playing on right now. 
the salary cap has been rumored to be going up by around a million dollars next year. Uh, the Phil Kessel salary retention is finally mercifully off of the books this off season. So th- that right there almost makes up for Riley's annual raise on the cap. They're going to have to shuffle some other things around, you know, in order to retain Campbell and make some of the other pieces fit. But I think securing such an important piece like Morgan Riley, and not just on the ice, like you ask anyone who's been around the Leafs for the last number of years, and they will all tell you that Morgan Riley is one of the best guys they know. He's an outstanding leader for this team. He was their captain before they had a captain. And I think that he's still, you know, kind of the the de facto leader, the, the longest serving member on the team. Just a really nice piece of business to get him locked in, and it's clear he wanted to be here. It's just nice to to not have that hanging over their heads for the rest of the season. I think that's something that we probably expected to be talking about on this show for most of the year, and it, it was kind of trending towards a, another situation where we're watching a guy walk out the door for yeah. for nothing except cap space in return in the offseason, so... To to retain such an important piece and get it done this early in the season, I, I think it was a big win for Kyle Dubas. Yeah, and, and like you know, everything you just said completely kind of echo that. I, like all the X's and O's stuff and how important he is, uh, just to the impact of the team. But just to take the whole like pragmatic side out of this and just look at it from you know just an emotional fan side of things. Like this guy's yeah. been around for absolute heartbreak and criticism and just nightmare ends of seasons and to know that he willingly signed up to finish what he started and left money on the table to do that to stay a Toronto Maple Leaf like that kind of shit if that doesn't make you root for a guy then you're not a fan of the team like I I understand the concerns about signing a guy to an eight-year deal at that big of a ticket and that yeah sometimes he has some defensive gaffes and his end zone positioning is and but just put all that side shit you know, for the side to the side for a minute, this guy obviously wants to be a leaf and that's, that's easy to root for. And and knowing that he very easily could have just, you know, packed up shop and said, I'm going somewhere else for more money where I don't have to be in the spotlight every night. And I don't have all these kind of curses and fucking demons hanging over my head. So yeah, super excited that he's part of the team. I think, like you said, there's, there's some, there's going to be some finagling happening this off season with the cap. Like I, I really don't know, but I but I do think there's some easy targets. Like you know, we'll, we'll probably touch on this stuff all throughout the year. But for what a guy like Kerfoot brings to the team, I think you could get a guy for a million bucks that could do that. I think you could get a guy for a million bucks for what Engvall does or less. So it's like there's there's money to be saved elsewhere to to kind of fill out the the rest of the roster. But yeah, Morgan Riley is a lot harder to replace at whatever, you know, 7.5 million on the open market than, than, you know, what you were able to do kind of Frankensteining together as Zach Hyman with a few other pieces. Yeah. And if you look at that free agent market for defensemen, this coming off season, it's not great. So (laughs) that's just, you know, more reason to be happy about the fact that Riley isn't going anywhere. Yeah. Or, or else you're giving up trade assets to get a guy that maybe is as good as Riley. Yeah. 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 And from that fan perspective, like when Kadri went, like that was one guy where it was a real dagger in the heart for me, where just from the perspective of like, if, if these guys do it, 
if they actually do it. That's a guy I wanted to be part yeah. of it. And yeah. Riley yeah. is another one of those guys for me. So I'm I'm happy about it. I'm happy that Tessa Virtue stays in the Maple <laughs> Leafs orbit. I, I love the whole thing. Um, yeah. Let's continue our talk about the blue line here a little bit because um, some rumors surfaced in the last few days. Obviously, Justin Hall has been on the outside looking in as, as it comes to the blue line. Uh, Travis Dermott ha- has gotten a promotion. There have been some you know, growing pains with that as he's moved up to, to play with Riley. Um, I, I think he's mostly looked literally good. too. He, he almost <laughs> broke his foot in this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, you know, I think, he, I think he's mostly looked good, but you know, there's, there's shortcomings in his game. There's, you know, it, th- this is why we wanted to see this happen last year, right? Like, you know, get these growing pains out of the way. This seemed like yeah. it was coming and, and now it's, um, you know, to the point where supposedly they're dangling these guys. And I, and I don't, this doesn't make sense to me. I know Nick that you, you share this thought as well. Like this, uh, who, who are we clearing room for here? A lot of this just doesn't add up. Yeah. Well, the talking point through the early part of the season is that the Leafs would be looking to, maybe add a defenseman, you know, someone in the mold of a Zach Bogosian who went back to Tampa in free agency this past offseason. So I, I guess if they have something lined up where they think they're able to add someone who would be considered an upgrade to one of Dermot or Hall, because you know realistically, those are the only guys that we're talking about getting moved here. As poor as Muzzin has played, I don't think they'd be willing to to cut bait on him just yet. And frankly, his contract isn't going to be an easy one to move if they do decide to, to test that out. So, yeah, if they're able to identify an upgrade and get that in there for you know a reasonable cost, I can see the thought process behind trying to move one of Dermot or Hall but as it stands right now, like the Leafs have maybe seven capable NHL defensemen, and a lot of them have questions surrounding them right now, from Muzzin to Hall to even Dermott, and whether he's going to be able to grab hold of this opportunity in the top four. So if they are going to make a move, they better be sure that they've got something else coming in. Yeah, you say seven NHL defensemen, and there's some maybes there, and you didn't even mention the two guys that are effectively rookies. So I... I, I yeah. Yeah, I, I don't really understand this one. I don't. It's it's it doesn't like the, I think the original kind of report that was that there was somebody on the Marlies they were looking to clear a room for, and I did that just doesn't make any sense for a team that's trying to contend. So it's, I wonder if what they really meant was that they're trying to clear a more permanent spot for Lilligren with the way that he's played. That would make a lot more sense to me. Like they're obviously, I, I feel like Lilligren's a guy that they probably had the opportunity to trade a hundred times and they didn't. So, like, if if I'm a, a rival GM, I'm that's the guy I'm calling on, like the former first round pick that hasn't been able to crack the lineup that's dominated in the AHL. I'm sure that that conversation happened a million times. So they obviously are high on him. So that would make a lot of sense to say that you know maybe Hall is blocking uh, a permanent spot in the top six. But this is a long season, like you. Having yeah. seven NHL defensemen, that's not like a, a luxury or anything like that. Like that's that's necessary. No. So I, I don't really get this one. It, it's bare minimum, if anything. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, getting back to Dermot for a second, he missed most of the second period against Vegas because he took a shot off the foot and had to go for X-rays. So yeah, 
you know, we were that close to being down to six capable NHL defensemen. So you, you ship one of those guys out and another injury happens or two injuries, God forbid, it, things are looking pretty rocky on the back end. Now, if you're saying if you're saying you're you're talking about shipping out a Hall or a Dermot to bring in a guy that's an, a market upgrade on them, and you're adding a prospect and a pick with it or something, and you can make it work cap wise, then obviously that's that anything that you can do to make the team better. Clearly, you want to do that. But I just didn't understand the yeah. whole making room for guys in the organization because it was worded in a way that seemed like it was a, an, a current Marley, yeah. which I, yeah, there's just no way that that makes sense. Yeah. And, and I'm kind of curious about whether they think that the writing might be on the wall a little bit here with Lilligren kind of taking over a spot permanently. And the fact that it might not actually be that easy for Hall to get back in and secure his spot. And eventually he's not going to be very happy about that. So it, maybe they're trying to be a little proactive and test the market and see what the, what kind of value those guys have around the league so that they can get out in front of a situation like that. And they're, they're going to be presented with some salary cap issues too, whenever Ilya Mikheyev is able to return to the team. So there's some things that they've got to be looking at. I, I don't think it makes sense to move a defenseman without bringing in a, a legitimate upgrade. But I, I don't really blame them for kind of sniffing around and testing the market on those guys. Yeah, if the upgrade's there. But yeah, I just I, I don't understand wanting to move anything off the roster otherwise. Um, it's a, a strange... And I also don't like Hall and Dermot being talked about as like equal assets because I know I'm biased, but I don't see it that way. Like You've got a guy who's cheaper and a lot younger whose physical skill set exceeds the older guys and i'm talking about dermot overhaul here obviously so i've i kind of question which of the guys the leafs would be more willing to move um and it, it might come down to you know whatever value they can get in return making that decision for them yeah i don't want to see dermot move and as much as i'm not a hall guy i think if they just cleared him out and said yeah we don't have room for you anymore i would just have to spend a a night crying into my jared mccann leafs jersey (laughs) yeah tough look early on here for that one (laughs) yeah yeah uh mishandled slightly i think so last week, obviously, we, we talked about the Chicago situation. You can go back and listen to our episode uh, with just Nick and I from last week, um, where we kind of talked about that a bit off the top. There have been some updates there, obviously, um, most notably, I guess, being uh, the NHLPA will be uh, opening an investigation into how things were handled there by Donald Fear and and the folks at the top um, and also of course Gary Bettman and Bill Daly had a shitty ass press conference where they gave their shitty lawyer speak at the absolute wrong time to do that kind of thing and I mean it's it's not a surprise from anyone who's heard these guys talk over the years that they just absolutely show no emotion but this is not a time to come in and show that you are a heartless bastard and that's, that's exactly the what they yeah. did it's not about this wasn't a press conference about fucking HRR and escrow where you have to be like that. Like this uh, Craig Button actually for a guy that I don't typically agree with a lot of stuff that he has to say kind of nailed it on TSN radio where it was just yes, yes you're there to fucking represent the team or whatever the fuck like that I get it, represent the owners. But you didn't have to just be so like combative and so just kind of like defensive and just emotionless and heartless like it it was that was that was a really frustrating 
kind of I didn't watch the whole thing. I couldn't do it. I couldn't bring myself to do it. But the parts that I did watch, I, I don't know, man. This league needs a reset, and I, I just I don't know. I don't I don't see how Gary Bettman gets out of this. I really don't. I feel like he probably will, but every rational part of me just doesn't understand how this guy can continue to run the league. Yeah, and I'm a guy who's like kind of been a Bettman defender over the years. I actually think he he's done a lot of good things for the league, but he he lost a lot of goodwill with with, with that presser him and Bill Daly. It, it, you guys nailed it just to be so callous and and cold and, and robotic in, in a situation yeah. that condescending tr- truly demanded calls for empathy. some empathy. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't think that the owners are ever going to fire Gary uh, with you know what he's done for their bottom lines uh, as an as a league. Uh, it would have to come down to I think public pressure or pressure from the PA to be a force him into resignation. Step down. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't really see that happening. Um, as much as he might deserve that kind of fate with the way that he's handled all of this, I just don't think we're going to see that happen. Um, but it, it was certainly a stark contrast to the Winnipeg Jets presser that followed it, that where, where there was some actual human emotion displayed and empathy. And the the words spoken by Jets owner Mark Chipman and his commitment to, you know, helping to do his part to rectify what he can in the the toxic hockey culture i I think was was a positive step forward uh obviously there's a a lot of things that that need to be fixed from the the top down with this league again kyle beach was just failed at so many different levels by so many people it's hard to believe it really is you know the the thing that kind of drives me nuts with Bettman has always been like the way that like his Jerry Jonesing of the league he has to be the face he has to be it it all has to go through him and um, this was so clearly a job he wasn't equipped for like and I mean it kind of has to be the commissioner answering answering for this stuff but just the way that he wasn't even able to recognize like okay I have to take a little bit of a softer approach to this Mm -hmm. and he just couldn't do it and and if that's ultimately what what you know secures his his exit I, I think that that would be incredibly fitting just the way that he he's unable to to kind yeah. of delegate this stuff to, to people and like you know even coming out and saying oh you know we're gonna uh, institute this uh, policy and any uh, complaints any any harassment uh, uh, just let me know and it's like oh yeah I'm, I'm sure as a player I, I I'm convinced that going just to Corey Batman yeah. personally yeah. is going to uh, you know that's that's what's gonna solve my problem here like just it's it's fucking I, I've been done with this guy for many years but um it's been a, a particularly brutal week for the league and and um I mean, I don't know how they don't wear it. Yeah, and it does kind of feel like a, a watershed moment in some aspects with, you know, we've seen some criticism directed towards the, the PA, uh, specifically from, from guys on the Leafs. Uh, I think Wayne Simmons had some some pretty serious uh, comments about the PA and the way it was handled and the distrust that he personally developed for the union. Uh, I, I think there, there's a lot of turmoil going on under the surface right now from the PA and and the league perspectives. Yeah, fear, fear, and Batman just fucking. It's time for a reset. It just is. You need just. I, I understand they've done a lot of good things. I mean, it, 
it's not I, I I don't share the love and I don't necessarily mean you love Batman Nick but not to put words in your mouth but you, as somebody who's probably defended him I mean the league has seen so like just the lockouts and the short like it's not I, I've just not come out of my hockey fandom being a big Gary Batman guy I understand the financial side of it has been probably good in some ways but I'm I've been ready for you know a, a kind of changing of the guard for a while and just to see what it brings like just just out of curiosity and now with this it's 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 completely solidified at the moment I I heard the comment to, well we don't even know what an NHL was. It, we don't know our lifetime and I would love to lifetime. I yeah. would love to because yeah. I like this is another thing where Nick and I disagree a lot I I, I would I would apply the the potato commissioner uh, to this like the potato <laughs> GM I think that you know you could replace Gary Bettman with basically anyone over the last twenty years and they would do at least what he's done but um i i mean i just it's it's such a mess and it's it's like struggling against quicksand the way that he deals with this stuff you you can't be such a, a emotionless prick about it and you're only going to dig your your hole even further if if that's the way you insist on approaching it so it's it's i mean th- this one's far from over and what i thought was really interesting i don't know if you guys listen to the latest uh, 32 thoughts pod but even friedman and merrick are like suggesting maybe it's time for new blood and this is a, a partner that has not been critical at all they've been the nhl's lap dogs ever since they got that deal yeah. they were dog shit on this story which friedman has kind of admitted to like they, they have not been on this at all it's been pathetic for a, a you know a well partner. no one was except rick westhead base and katie Strang. that's it they're well, the yeah. only two people but that's it i mean tsn is is tsn and the athletic like outside of sportsnet like those are two of the biggest outlets covering um the nhl right and, and sportsnet like they have their Pushy partnership deal and and it's it, it has even if it's not exactly what happened it has the the feel like they just kind of ignored this until they couldn't anymore and even now the tide is starting yeah. to turn with some people on that end which i i found very interesting i think one thing the like I, and this isn't like an, a, me absolving batman or anything like that but it's important to point out and i know you guys may touched on this stuff when i wasn't on the pod and you guys did a great job with what you said but this isn't something that it was like well, if Gary Bettman wasn't in charge, this never would. Like, this no. is deeper than that. This is t- this is a, a, a sport that I love that has an absolute dog shit culture, and it always has. And, and this is deeper. This is down from minor hockey up to. It's just the way. I don't know. It's just. A, it's 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 just it's systemic. It's not something that we can just fix overnight like this well that's what shipman said right he said that there's systemic problems that require systemic solutions yeah it's 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 from the you know from the bottom up top down it's it's just it needs change and 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 that's why i don't mean to say that you know this was all bettman's fault but it's something that a, a change a changing of the guard, even if it's symbolic, could just get the ball rolling in the right direction, I think. Yeah, uh, this story will obviously uh, continue. It's it's not going away. So we'll we'll continue to weigh in as as the as things develop. Um, another big story from this week, this morning, actually, as we record here Thursday night, um, Jack Eichel on the move. Finally, this this saga has been dragging on for so long and uh, he, he moves to Vegas in a, a big swap. I, I don't really think I, I I guess I was kind of surprised by the amount that Buffalo managed to get back here because of the way it's dragged on. And I think that 
I don't know if you guys felt this way, but I, I just kind of felt like this was going to be a really diminished return. And, you know, Alex Tuck, great player. Peyton Krebs, like he could be something. You get a couple of picks. It's not the best return you could have gotten for a guy of Jack Eichel's caliber, obviously. But given the circumstances, given the Keith, circumstance, you, you, yeah. Keith, you had a really good uh, analogy for this one earlier. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it was it was a lot like this is self-inflicted like yes it's like oh the the pressure's on buffalo right like they have to they have to you know deal somebody that they that the entire world knows they have to trade so their leverage is down they're not going to get as good of a return so i'm seeing a lot of this like you know all things considered buffalo did great well no like they did this to themselves there's reports <laughs> coming out right now right before we started uh uh eichel quotes saying that you know he wanted to make it clear to the fans of buffalo that if he'd have gotten the surgery he wanted, he would have stayed. This wasn't a, I want out, you know, for any other reason other than they wouldn't let him get the surgery that he wanted. It's his own fun. There's having his own choice of his medical procedures, which is absurd. But what I, the analogy I used was this isn't, yeah, they, they drove an exotic car off a cliff and didn't die. They just broke their leg. Like it's not, this isn't, this isn't, it's not a great story for <laughs> Buffalo just because they happened to do all right with the return, you know, all things considered. Like if you just said a couple of years ago that this was the return for Jack Eichel, it would have been unanimously like that's a terrible trade. So I get it. Yeah. I mean, I like Tuck. I'm a huge Tuck fan, but this is still Jack Eichel we're talking about here. So yeah, I don't know. Weird trade, but I'm definitely entertaining for as a, as an outsider. It was another thing like Morgan Riley. I figured it was going to be something that kind of dragged on all year. Mm -hmm. And so from that perspective I'm, I'm glad that it's reached its conclusion and you know for jack eichel the person uh, I'm, I'm happy for him he's obviously you know not been in a very good spot at, and I'm, I'm not just referring to to <laughs> buffalo the place <laughs> but, but you know with everything that's gone on there and, and the medical dispute about how to handle his neck injury like he's been living in pain we're, we're not just talking about it, you know, a inanimate object here, inanimate asset to a hockey team. Like he's a person who's got a medical issue that he hasn't been able to deal with. So if, from that point of view, I'm glad that he is going to finally get some treatment. And he's one of the most talented hockey players in the world. Having him sitting on the sidelines uh, awaiting surgery so that he can get back onto the ice was not a, a good thing for the game as a whole yeah. it, it, it's not good for for him either he's still a young player who's missing out on some of the prime of his career so yeah from from that perspective i'm really happy for eichel i think vegas is a, a, a nice landing spot for him they're gonna have some cap stuff of their own to work out uh when everyone's healthy there but it, it, it's a marquee player in a marquee city uh it's it's really entertaining to see what Vegas has done since they've come into the league. It's fucking I've crazy what they've done, man. They just go <laughs> get whoever the hell they want. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I've seen some people make reference to, you know, Vegas, the hockey team, has been managed like they're in Vegas. You know, they're all in all the time. They're, they're making the, these huge bets and these huge swings, rolling the dice on, on a guy like Eichel who – he still does have to have a neck surgery and recover. So yeah, there's definitely it, risk. Yeah. There's some risk involved. And even the fact of the matter is even if Jack Eichel doesn't get back to 100% of what Jack Eichel was before, he's still going to be a pretty damn good player. Um, 
I think it's a huge get for Vegas. Um, definitely not uh, a storybook ending for Buffalo and a guy who they're pretty used to that. You know, in this point. Yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess they're pretty used to that. But uh, on the other hand, I think it's it's also a good thing for Buffalo to to be able to close that book and turn the page. Onto their, you know, their next stage of their rebuild 2.0 perpetual rebuild. Uh, but yeah, just to have it wrapped up and kind of some finality and closure to it for both sides, I think is is the real takeaway. Here. Yeah, it's it's interesting from Vegas's perspective. Obviously, this is the, the kind of guy you need and the kind of guy you're going to be all over from, you know, based on the moves you've been making lately. But like, I wonder what the war chest is going to be like here. Uh, obviously, they had so many picks when they first came in and, and they've dealt so many picks and prospects and trying to load up. And it's like, Ugh, if this doesn't work out in the next couple of years, is Eichel going to find himself in another like disastrous situation with uh, how this kind of plays out? A lot of a lot of veteran guys in that team. So, um, yeah. But what was Vegas missing? Right? Like they've they've been a team oh, that's yeah. had a lot of. This is the guy you need. Really outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. They needed a star, and when Jack Eichel is healthy and and playing up to his capabilities, he's 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 arguably a top five player in the NHL. Yeah, no doubt. Totally. This is this is the kind of thing that can push you over the top, and they've been pretty close to getting over the top without him. So um, you got to feel good about it. <laughs> what is it like three Stanley or three conference finals? I don't want to talk about four years of existence. Talk about it. Yeah, Cruel. and I mean, obviously, just the biggest villains in all of this, uh, Buffalo. Um, not just mm-hmm, for the, the way that they've gone about it, but the way that they've made Jack Eichel a sympathetic figure. I, I feel like I've hated this guy forever. Uh, I'm glad that he's out of the division now, but um, I wanted to ask you guys, like, who do you irrationally hate? Because I don't know, maybe it's not irrational because of the way, like, I feel that um, it, this started for me when when Eichel. Sp- uh, you know, spurned the moose heads and, and chose uh, college hockey. And I was like, fuck, fuck that guy. You know, you could come here and win a Memorial Cup, guarantee a Memorial Cup with McKinnon and Drew in. And no, you're going to go to. Can you imagine that team with? <laughs> it would have been foolish. And I totally understand why he didn't come. But fuck him. I never liked him. He's from Boston. He's got to be a dickhead. So who do you guys irrationally hate? Oh, and, and it can be. Uh, it doesn't need to be hockey. I'm going to give you another one. Let you think about it. Okay. <laughs> I hate Rudy Gobert, and I don't know how familiar you guys are with. Yeah, Rudy. I don't think that's irrational, though. You know, given the, the, the way that he thing. showed his entire it's ass, the fact that he shut down the world. It's <laughs> he. He's just. He's such a wiener. He's. I mean, he he has this thing like you know he's he's a defensive guy, but uh, like I don't know if you recall last playoffs, like they figured out just how to draw him out to the perimeter and just expose him. He got rocked in the playoffs. The the Utah Jazz, who he plays for, they love to like um, put up these graphics and and tell you how many like screen assists he got, like how many assists which is not a real assist like he 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 set a screen for a guy who scored a basket and they you know that's considered a screen assist and they throw it up and and like act as if it's like he got a fucking quadruple double because he got 10 screen assists and it's i just i and like i'm i'm fully in support of guys showing their emotions you know it's okay for men to cry but but rudy gobert 
he he doesn't get that pass when when you when you don't make the all star team and you cry and say that you deserve to be on the all star team. I'm sorry. I'm just I'm going <laughs> to hate you forever. You're just I I, I can't with that guy. Um, not for me. Rudy Gobert, Jack Eichel. They they can both fuck off. Everybody I have that like I, the the qualifier of like irrationally hate. Like everybody I'm thinking of, like I have got reason to hate. So it's like <laughs> that's a tough. I mean, like a, like I don't like like I don't know. I don't. I hate Josh Anderson, but I mean, I'm a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, and he's a Montreal Canadiens goal scorer that you know is physical and shit. Like clearly, that's 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 a match made in heaven to hate him. I, I don't really have. I hate Brett Gardner. Don't really know why. Yeah, Brett Gardner was one of the guys I was going to say. I just, Matt, and then, then the, the 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 number one is Matt Nagy, but I have a million reasons to hate him. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a good question. <laughs> that's a good question. You kind of put me on the spot here. Um, usually, I, I'm just I have hate flowing through my veins, uh, <laughs> especially the, you know the, just the coming off won, of watching though. a hockey game, fired up. Yeah, f- feeling good about the end result there. Um, Again, like I don't think it's irrational, but like Brad Marchand has such a, a punchable face. Uh, it, he he'd be he'd be one of those guys for me. Who was the guy that Big T thought of the other day that that we we forgot all about? Tony D'Angelo. Oh, yeah. But again, that's, really that's very not irrational. very rational hate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I've got nothing right. for you. Well, here, um, think on it. Think on it. <laughs> um, I'm sure we'll have some hate in our veins after this game against the Bruins on Saturday night in See, any this case. is why we prep this is why we prep for podcasts we can't we're not I'm not on I'm not an on the fly thinker <laughs> like this. <laughs> um, we're gonna wind her down there and as we mentioned Bruins Kings to finish off this uh, this homestand and then a game in Philadelphia hey what up Leo oh Actually, we chatted about the potential of going down to that game because we we've been to Philly for a game together, and then we went to Toronto for a game together. So it's back to the swings, back to Philly. But we just we had no idea what the like restrictions were going to be like. We technically could go now. I think like border. I, I think the land border is open if we wanted to drive down, or it's going to be open soon. But yeah, we're going to have to pass on that one this year. Hopefully next year. Do you wear your Leafs jersey in Philly? So that's funny. Funny story. I I did. I was like twenty three or no, I would have like younger. I was like probably like twenty one or twenty two. Anyways, and I I just proudly walk into Wells Fargo with a Dion Phaneuf jersey on, and it, <laughs> at the beginning of the game, they're very nice. Like it was like, oh hey, like I'm drinking beers with these guys, all wearing like Bobby Clark jerseys and stuff at the little bar in the rink and shooting the shit and everything. And then walking out, I, I people were like staring at me, and I Leo was like, put your fucking hoodie on, and I I zip like zip my hoodie up, and as I was zipping it up, somebody in passing was just walking by that was like, you better fucking zip it up, like at just like, it's like man, get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> Yeah, a, a few years ago, uh, a couple friends of mine went down to Philly. Uh, two of my best friends, one's a, a Cowboys fan, one's an Eagles fan. And they went to watch Oof. Cowboys and Eagles in, in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> my friend who cheers for the, the Cowboys decided that it was probably best to just wear a Cowboys t-shirt 
under one of our other friend's Eagles jerseys. Yeah. So he, he went full defense mode <laughs> and threw the Eagles jersey on over the Cowboys shirt. Uh, you know, when you're in Philly, you, you, they friggin' had the Survival grease power mode, poles because people were climbing the friggin' power poles in the streets during a, a playoff run a few years ago. So, yeah, a place you want to be careful with your wardrobe <laughs> if you're going to a sporting yeah. event. They threw batteries at Santa Claus, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> or did they just throw batteries at someone else and boo Santa Claus? I, I don't know which what the combo was. Hey, when I was in when I was in Chicago, a kid came out to do one of those like shoot the puck at the intermission, like off the blue line to try to get in the net or whatever. And he had, and it was how. Um, yeah, they asked him what he was going to go for for Halloween. It was in October. And he said Mitchell Trubisky and the entire place booed like an eight-year-old kid. He <laughs> <laughs> deserved that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. We'll do it again next week. Cheers, boys. Cheers.